0: welcome to the hockey strength podcast the official podcast of SCAF, the strength conditioning association of professional hockey my name is david rosales and today i'm joined by my co-host mike potenza and our guest mr joel jackson joel as of this year is the assistant strength conditioning coach of the edmonton oilers in the nhl this is not the first time he's been on the show we talked about on ice speed testing and other things about a year and a half ago and he's written for the site he's written several articles and has contributed a lot in today's episode we talk about his journey in strength conditioning, the transition from college to the NHL, the differences between those settings and and what coaches at different levels can learn. And as is tradition between Joel and I, we get into a nice little conversation about punk rock towards the end. This was a fun way to kick off the podcast for 2022. We'll be back with bi-weekly episodes from now on, so there will be a lot more podcasts to look forward to. Without further ado, here is Mike Potenza and Joel Jackson. Joel? Welcome back to the Hockey Strength Podcast, Mike. Thank you also for being here. Uh, how are you how are you both doing? Start of the season, both have had pretty good starts so far. So uh, how's how's the NHL going right now, guys?
1: Yeah, uh, good so far with me. Yeah, and, and thanks for having me on again, guys. It's always a pleasure. So
2: yeah, I mean, we're we're off to a, a pretty decent start. Not as good as Joel. I mean, you know, we don't have those two rockets on our lineup, but you know, we're we're our team's in a good place. So we're we're
0: having a lot of fun together
2: amongst the group so that's that's what counts right
0: yeah we're, we're filming like two days after mcdavid just scored that absolutely absurd goal against the rangers uh so i'm sure joel might have had a good a good view of that of that one but i know people been talking about that goal still for a few days and and joel since we last talked on the podcast it's been like over a year now you've had even you have another family member you welcomed a, a young boy to your family so now you have two children and you got a new job you have moved up to the nhl and you're now the assistant strength and conditioning coach of the edmonton oilers but i want to start by going back i want to hear about what your first job in snc was
1: oh my very first job uh, well when i did my undergraduate degree i was in a, a smaller community in, in alberta about an hour south of edmonton called Camros. and um, that's where i played my college hockey and So I guess the first kind of job that I dabbled in was just working at the fitness center there. I did a handful of duties in terms of just working the desk. And then I also did a a little bit of personal training and then taught three different group exercise classes. So I did a spin, a boot camp and uh, kind of noon hour fitness. So it was good. It was a great experience. And, you know, with the students that. We would always work with when i was at the university and then i'm sure we'll probably do the same thing with the ones that come through here with the oilers it's always we always encourage some of those kids to to try that to do some personal training or maybe instruct some group exercise classes because it's it's always a really good opportunity to find your voice as a coach i've found and it it always is a good experience for some of those younger kids great for me
2: who are some of your big influences joel at that time professors or People in the industry, you know, David and I have in the past guests that we've had on, it's always exciting and kind of cool to listen to, you know, who was influential in guys' careers, you know, whether it be Mike Boyle, whether it be Maddie Nichol or um, Pete Ranzetti or and different names like that. But who were some of yours um, going through when you were going through that process?
1: Well, yeah, when I was at Augustana was the, was the name of the university that I was at. I actually had a professor. His name was Robert Kell. He actually sadly passed away probably two years into my master's degree, got into a car accident. You know, rest in peace, Rob, but he was a big influence on me early on and really, uh, really supported me in getting into the strength conditioning side of things. And one of the good experiences that I had in my undergrad is I actually co-authored a paper with him. So going into my master's degree, I had my name on a on a paper and it was more centered around chronic low back pain and and middle-aged men. So not exactly (laughs) applicable to the the population that I was getting into, but it was a great experience just, you know, learning even just how to read uh, a research paper a little bit better in those first couple of years of my, of my uh, university. And then, you know, outside of that, like, honestly, there was, you know even guy like you mike like i remember when i was young like hearing your name and seeing some of your stuff and then obviously uh you know mike boyle anthony donskov would be two big ones that i've you know admired from afar and you know had a had a big influence on on my career early on
2: who were local guys like uh, was you know peter twist still a big name uh, at that point in canada you know some of uh, you know for uh for the american listeners kind of who ha- haven't haven't had too much exposure to those types of names were there were there others maybe even track and field that were helpful and that you kind of looked into to see what they
1: were doing for their training? Um, so like some of the, like, I guess guys in, in the hockey community around this area would have been like Barry Button, and Doug Crashley would have been the guys, kind of the, the OGs around here for sure. But, uh, yeah, in, in terms of like, once I came to Edmonton and, uh, you know, started doing my master's degree here, one of the guys that I worked with closely. As I transitioned into more of a full-time role, his name is Michael Cook. He's actually um, a gentleman from the UK originally, and he kind of really pushed forward the strength and conditioning at the University of Alberta. He has now moved on. He's the head strength and conditioning coach for Canada's national men's volleyball team. He was in Tokyo recently, and he's kind of taken on a full-time role there. But he was definitely one of the one of the bigger mentors I had as I, as I started at the U of A. And then definitely some good experiences like you know the the track and field coach and and some of the coaches that were at the university you know definitely became friends with a few of them and uh, as well as a few of the other coaches and a number of the different sports so you know rob that i mentioned earlier he was he had a wrestling background so uh, and then i had the opportunity to work with the wrestling team at the university too so that was kind of kind of special as well
0: Yes, sounds like you've had. I love that spin instructor example too, and it speaks again to a big theme we've had on the podcast of kind of diversifying your skill sets. Just like we tell our athletes not to specialize too young and and pick a sport too young. Kind of as strength coaches as well, you know, we didn't all expect to be in hockey. I'm sure you know we all coached athletes of all different ages and and sports and goals and disciplines. So I think that's really cool to see how you've kind of gone from just like a lot of us, just like coaching a lot of general population and, and kids into now specializing into hockey. Now you're kind of taking out the next step further. You were the head strength conditioning coach at University of Alberta, and you just took the job this season with Edmonton Oilers. So what has been one of the biggest shifts or some of the biggest differences in going from a college setting now to a professional hockey setting?
1: Well, I think, you know, the first guess, and actually, you know, it probably isn't the same for a lot of people in the American setting. Like if you're at the big at the big universities, the big colleges, you typically would have a very nice setup in terms of what you have, but uh, it it wasn't like that at the University of Alberta in terms of the money that was available. So that that's obviously been the biggest change in just terms of what we have available, for equipment, what there's available for for supplements and just all the resources that the athletes have. So so that's definitely been the biggest transition and, you know, like coming like from being like um, I I technically I I usually say I I don't really like to refer to myself as a head strength and conditioning coach at the university because usually a head implies that you have somebody working underneath you and it was just kind of like a one-man show with me right so um, you know other than the students that that came through but uh, Chad Drummond is the guy's name that's the head coach here with the Oilers and he's been instrumental in, in making the transition smooth for me and that's that's been a big piece where. There's way more tools in the toolbox here, And, you know, I kind of knew that coming in. And one thing that I've been very impressed with with Chad is, you know, obviously you you have all these tools, but how effectively he's able to use all of them and pick the right situations to use certain ones. uh, That's the part that's been like good for me and like a, a very good learning experience. You know, something that if I if I was to say come in and, and put you probably put right into a head role, that would have been difficult to manage, right? Because it's definitely not something that I was used used to. And um, you know, my programming at the university was was simple and and I think that's good, you know, and I've always had that philosophy, but it it had to be in terms of what I what I had available to me as well, and then just the the sheer number of athletes that I had to deal with. So, you know, being able to to kind of really dig in, dive deeper with one team, and, and focus more on a smaller number of athletes. Uh, that's kind of something that I've always craved and I've always wanted. And it's, it's definitely been a, a really good experience so far with that, where, uh, you know, just being back in the team atmosphere as well. When I think back from when I was playing, like, you know, the, the year after I was done, college hockey i was uh you know probably borderline depressed just being done with it all and just being out of that team atmosphere and that was something that i missed the most being being back in the team setting is has been unreal and i I really like that not just with the players right like i there's a very good team here in terms of the medical staff and the strength staff and the equipment guys it's just been uh it's been awesome so far so i've really been enjoying that part
0: we talk a lot, so you mentioned the tools, right? You got more more toys to play with. And What, what are a few, what's one or two examples of, of a new tool you've had to learn, something you've had to adapt, uh, and that was that was foreign to you? And what have you learned from that? And then possibly, I think when talking about some of these fancy devices, we can get caught up in like only applying to the NHL setting. But if you were to kind of go back to college, uh, what are some of the principles or lessons you've learned from having some of these tools that you could use in a more simple setting? That was like 40 yeah. questions in one, sorry. <laughs> no, no, all good. good. Um,
1: so like, it, it's one of the things that I really, really wanted to get my hands on when I was at the university was like a, a K-Box or some sort of flywheel. And w- we have access to those here. I found that they've just been like such a cool piece to throw into the program, you know, just from. You know changing up a little bit of a unique eccentric load that it brings and a lot of different things that you can do on it in terms of like some lateral work that we we hit on heavy in the off season, and uh, you know obviously not as much and not getting as much use out of it in season. but um you know that's that's been something that it's it's pretty tough to mimic that with uh, any type of free weight that you would be using, right? So uh, that's been a cool piece for sure. Also, you know one of the things got to. To play around a little bit with uh, is the force frame. So, the valve the force frame, so not as much from a, a training perspective, but although you can use it for a training piece, and, and we have played around with that a little bit, but it's, it's been really interesting to, to learn more about that and just kind of what those numbers are telling you and how you can be uh, using them in your, in your kind of day to day, week to week setting.
0: I have a question about the K box. This hasn't come up on the podcast at all. I've used one briefly, I've used it like four times. Mike, make maybe you or either of you are most qualified to explain this. Can you give some background on what the K box is and what the concept behind it is and why why it's a useful tool?
2: Yeah, so I'll take a stab at it, and Joel can fill in the gaps for me if he wants. But uh, you know, it originally it's out of Sweden, and some of the thought process on utilizing heavy eccentric loading and the research goes into this this unit. There are different variations of it. There's a Desmotech out of Italy. There's there's other, there's other variations, but KBOX seems to be the most complete, usable, very compact unit out there, I think. And, and you can measure power through it, which is great. Um, Peak power and average power, which, which is very valuable, obviously, because we're collecting data. I think every team is collecting data. But the idea, obviously, through Triphasic was that we need this, these eccentric phases right through Cal Dietz's work and, and his book and Ben Peterson's work. And, and I think it's a tool that was out there, but now. The text kind of proved in a very readable and digestible kind of format to strength coaches are going. All right, you got to make some time for this, and and the unit can very much do that with the heavy eccentric loading and then the the, the forceful concentric um, piece. I really like the side of it that you have to brace it. You know, you have to brace the eccentric piece at the bottom and, and get ready to change kind of phases of movement of dynamic movement, but also you know um, get ready to transition at top. Really cool tool has a, a great element. And like Joel said, we utilize it a little bit in season, but not too much because that load can be pretty taxing
1: system. So yeah, no, I I think you hit that uh, you know, or explained it much better than I could even by because we keep in mind that I'm I'm pretty new to using the piece of equipment. So um, but yeah, I honestly just like the first time getting on it and, and experiencing it myself. I'm like, okay, hey, this is this is different, right? And and like you said, the the control that it forces the athlete to have, um, you know, throughout the entire range of motion, but just that fact that it pulls you down into that eccentric phase is, is something that's unique and, and very challenging. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great tool to, to play around with. It's cool to
2: get your perspective, too, like, you know, in terms of, you know, you just started in the league. And I think for any young professional who, who wants to eventually get here, there, there is a great structure now you know 10 years ago the assistant position really wasn't it didn't exist you know and the ladder to get to the nhl is different now before when you were in college or or you know a rare strength coach in major junior hockey right canada and then you kind of make your way up to an nhl team right or an american league team but now you have we have these positions as assistants and data slash assistant strength coaches and there's there's many more positions now that people can jump into and get to the league, which is pretty cool. I think the value the another side of the value that you maybe our listeners don't appreciate or your younger professionals um, should look, consider is the programming is number one your biggest concern, right? At this point, everybody has a real good grasp on program. You know, you got to look at the ancillary things like, you know, I, Joel. I'm sure you look at what Chad's doing on a day-to-day basis as the head guy or as the director or, or whatever you know high level role that is and, and it's not necessarily programming. it's how do I manage time? how do I manage injured players? how do we coordinate communication between our medical department and our department and, and how do we measure the multiple metrics across the board, whether it be injured players or not injured players? And you know if you have I have a heavy hand into nutrition and, and, and our meal are serving our meals process with our teams and the nutrition we provide. And that's another hat that we all wear. So you know it's not just the programming strength coaching piece. It's the all the other hats that you wear as a head coach that assistants and young professionals should should really consider. It's like it's like when you're when your parents tell you something and you're an early teenager and they're like, you kind of shrug it off like, what do you mean? You know, whatever. And then you go as you get older a little bit more experienced. You're like, yeah, now I know what they meant. You know what I mean? So I think those gems, if if our young listeners or or professionals, young professionals in the listening to this, if they can almost grasp these concepts and, and ideas, then it'll only help them
1: when they do get to those higher level positions, those director positions or head positions. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And like and that's just that's definitely been a, a big piece for me too, that I'm still kind of trying to to get a good grasp on is you know, see how how different members of the staff you know, what the responsibilities are Like at home on the road, how that changes. And and like another big thing too, is I was pretty fortunate to start in July. So I started on July 1st and, you know, that was a great time to get my feet wet. Uh, instead of like, I can't really imagine coming into the job and starting during a training camp, like that would just be like, you know, uh, drinking through a fire hose, kind of thing, right? So it's uh, <laughs> training camp was a grind. And um, and ages, it, by the way, I'm, I've been here 16 years, and I still
2: go <laughs> through the fire hose numerous times
1: a year. So, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, though that was that was good, though. It was good to kind of get in in the summer, and, you know. And we had like a, a smaller number of guys around, and for me to like get used to the facility and and how to use everything that I hadn't had experience with before. And then transition more into training camp and into the season that way was was good for me but but yeah you're right and and you know chad's similar to you where he has to do quite a bit of work with the nutrition side of the thing too and he does a great job of it but that's the kind of thing where I, i saw firsthand how much time he had to put into it and uh yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely not short for sure so it's uh it's been good it's been it's been really good there so um yeah definitely continuing to learn, but uh, yeah, that, that part has been, has been awesome.
2: Yeah. It's important to know too. and, I, and I, David, stop me if I, if I've already said this on a different podcast, it's always worth saying, you know, but our department, whether it be in pro hockey, or whether it be in minor league hockey, or whether it be different sport or college sport, we pull on the fabric of more departments than anybody else. So it's important to know like, you know, medically what's happening, where the player is in their development and, that kind of goes into scouting, right? Where, where that player is in the grand scheme of the, the lineup and the roster. And so that kind of, we talk to head coaches, right? We plan out practices and then we have our own programming. And within the programming, we have different levels of development. And then you have, like you said, you have the nutrition piece, you have the recovery piece. And there's so many different things that we are responsible for doing and pull on these threads of fabric like, that I like to say. And that the next person in line is probably the next position would be an athletic trainer, you know. And then after that, like the coaches and the scouts, they only see him for short periods of time throughout the year, you know, with the exception of the coaches, like that's when they see him, but the off season, it's all us, right? So it's important to kind of get a respect perspective or have an awareness of like what happens in all those other departments or how we integrate it into those other departments for the benefit of the athlete, right? Whether they can be healthy or injured. So it's a lot to consider but i think it's it's just the life of the position the more professionals and young professionals and those learning and wanting to get here or pro sports it's like okay, you should probably have some sort of a perspective on it for awareness right
1: yeah yeah for sure and and you know and like when you mentioned the injured piece like that that's been another like big difference between the university setting that i came from to here now where you know again i probably had around 130 140 athletes that i had to work with at the at the university so unless an injured athlete had a good level of independence you know oftentimes it was like they were falling through the cracks right they either weren't showing up for their therapy or you know it would just be something where you would lose track of it right and that was you know probably faults of of the the way the system was set up but now here, it's like you're you're meeting every single morning with all members that are involved in, in an athlete's recovery and you have, you know, good control over over everything they're doing. Right. And and anything that's going to put any sort of training load on them, you're going to have control of that and you're going to be able to measure it. That part's been awesome. That part's been so cool to, to be able to just really a deeper dive into that and and kind of you know have conversations about it every day with the different individuals that are working with the athlete and uh you know it's it's obviously an ideal setting right and it's i, I really been enjoying being a part of that
2: yeah i enjoy that part of it too like i i've enjoyed the long-term rehab kind of return to competition modeling and, and, and planning that you have to do i, I do really enjoy that. i do i look back to and wonder like all right well When I was at Wisconsin, all the athletes I worked with in terms of softball, wrestling, and both hockey programs, like we didn't have a lot of injuries knock on wood at the time. So that wasn't really kind of, I didn't have to get that kind of perspective of, all right, how do we plan this out? And athletic training in the university setting, I'm sure it's the same in Canada, has, has a lot of influence and a lot of control in that area, you know, given that they're student athletes, right? Now the you know, like you said, we have a lot of control in, of, over that in this setting. I wonder what it'd be like if I go back and be like, oh, geez, I can't even do a quarter of the thing that I would do here. And so it
1: it would be interesting. Yeah. And I think like honestly, that's kind of one of the more rewarding parts of the job, right? When you can when you can get a player back from an injury and, and like again, like I found that at, at the university too. Like I had a couple of a couple of hockey players that probably weren't the um best attendance in the gym when they were healthy but you know when they they had to spend a significant amount of time with me and there's a couple of them where they it changed their their outlook a little bit right and like when you when you're able to see something like that it it it's good it's like it definitely makes you feel like you you accomplish something with that individual and and again like it's it's not really a whole lot different from that side right like you know any of the guys that that we're working with here and like you know the any of the injuries that have been a part of like rehabbing so far and again lock on wood there hasn't been many of them but they're always very appreciative of, of what you're able to do for them so.
0: being the strength coach it's i think we're wise to start to rebrand ourselves as performance coaches because that's a much more all-encompassing term and a, a much better brand like it's i think it's a brilliant rebrand of kind of our job and just how interdisciplinary it is and i think i think we'd be wise uh, to keep keep moving in that direction. Joel. Now your role is as an assistant and that has a lot of unique positives and and potential challenges. I'm curious going from, I guess, not a head guy being the only guy to being an assistant. Uh, what are, what are some of the things you've learned or or things you're going to be trying to learn in that assistant role? And maybe Mike, you can speak to that too of like, what is the job of an assistant strength coach?
1: Yeah, I think with me, like probably just like, I don't even know if I'd want to describe it as like, um, a reduction in responsibility but you know obviously like the head guy has has more responsibility than than me in this setting but you know so far uh, in in terms of what we're doing like i'm i'm working with chad like you know every day on a on a very regular basis and like as of as of, as of right now i'm kind of still on the honeymoon stages right so i'm, I'm still learning a lot of the things but yeah just Definitely like a, a difference in responsibility, but in in many ways, you know, I'm I'm there to assist the head guy, right? In in terms of exactly what the what the title says. So um yeah, like a lot of things like like some of the the pieces that he's kind of put on my plate already have just been managing some of the catapult units for, for practices, uh taking on some of the like pregame nutrition piece pieces and and things like that. So just trying to share the load with with a lot of it with uh be the biggest thing but you know mike would probably have a better perspective from from being the head guy and having to work with the assistant so. yeah
2: i've had i've had a few in my time in, in and in our assistant position has grown in terms of from you know full time, full time to you know i mean kevin was with me for maybe four or five years i think and then now steve delestro is going on his uh, fifth year so, um, but these are seasoned guys. Those two guys were seasoned. Eric Rennigan, who was with St. Louis for a little while, the part-time position he held as an assistant strength coach with me, led him to the NHL with Roger Takahashi in Vancouver. And then obviously Eric went on to St. Louis and whatnot. But, you know, the, the way I've kind of structured the position, first and foremost, is, okay, if I'm getting pulled in all these different directions and all these meetings, um, you know, know the strength program inside and out. And that means like, from the veteran who has all these different regressions or progressions or individualizations to the young player who needs a specific amount of development outside of our speed, power, strength kind of focus, you know? In that case, it's not me dictating what the program is, it's, it's me and that assistant mm-hmm. collaborating on building the programming. And I'm almost to the point where I'm taking mm-hmm. more on the responsibility Steve, um, to say, okay, what are your thoughts, you know? Um, are thoughts here and 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 he's learning and the timing of everything but i think for me that's been critical tracking our measurements in season whether it be jump whether it be heart rate whether uh heart rate workloads on ice and um and also the barracuda our minor league strength coaches that's kind of been in steve's wheelhouse to make sure all that data is caught captured in a timely manner and then are at the regular intervals that we want in season and then make sure it's in our system and then we kind of come together myself steve and by Barracuda strength coach John Germain, who, who's new to our group. And we look at the data together, to kind of create reports for our, for our uh, management. I handle the reporting, you know, that has to go to the coaches and the management on both teams. And then the nutrition side is me. That's kind of a bear on its own between all the meals, accounting and ordering and all that BS is <laughs> I wouldn't want to put that on any assistant, So I, I kind of take the, the, the lead on that with all the with the complicated accounting system that we have, but I think that that role that role can go as far as being an assistant in title, but more of a, a like a head strength coach responsibility. But it can also go down, okay, well, I only have an hourly employee who's still working still working through college, so you know the simplicity of that that role and that responsibility is just to set the workout up, learn how to coach, coach these guys correctly. I'll show you who has all these deviations in their programs and individualizations, and just make sure you're up to speed on that that element of it. You know, we we kind of uh, I'm very firm believer of two, like everybody ropes and everybody rides. So if we need to both set up at some point, then we do. And if we have to set up supplements and sh- make shakes and all that stuff, then we do. You know, I think that kind of I'm an easygoing boss, I guess like that. But um, you know, it, it's it, it's just something that's going to kind of like constantly need to be done so we
0: will
1: do it just to get it out of the way yeah i think that's been very similar here too and like you know when you mentioned from the programming standpoint it was again coming in the summer uh offseason program was already made and i was just kind of stepping into it so that was good again you know just didn't have to focus as much on that which was like a big part of my job in the off seasons at the university setting and i can kind of just like dig in get to know the guys get to know the staff and and learn the program and like how Chad's programming would differ from what I was doing before and you know obviously a big influence on that is all the tools that were available but yeah again to now that we're in season we're constantly talking to each other figuring out what we should be doing in the next week and looking at the schedule in terms of where we're going to get our our strength touches or power touches and things like that so uh yeah it definitely has been a, a good partnership so far so um yeah I, I'm I'm definitely definitely happy with that side of it right like it's different but you know, I, I I don't feel like I I miss that part of it in terms of just being like yeah I'm I'm the head guy and I need to have like full control like it's it's been a good learning experience for me to kind of step back and and um, you know be in like a little bit more of a supportive role this way.
0: Yeah, I just want to underscore one thing, and I'll bring in some some nerd mythology into this. So, if you don't know Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey model, this is the mythology structure that a lot of past religious stories are based off or like seem to follow from things like Star Wars and Harry Potter. And in all of these uh, story structures, there's a phase called meeting the mentor and kind of this mentorship phase like Harry Potter meets Dumbledore, Luke Skywalker meets Obi-Wan and kind of following this model in our own lives, we can kind of see where we are. And I think as an assistant strength coach, you're in that cool position where you have this mentorship opportunity with Chad. So can you speak to, your relationship with Chad? And, and is that kind of like a, in some way, a, an apprentice mentor role? And, and at, in your job, you're not only, you know, it's your job, you're making a living, it's your livelihood, but you're also getting to learn on the job as you go through him. So you can just speak to, to that aspect of the assistant role?
1: Yeah, I think it's like it's interesting to to look at it that way because like you know one thing with with me and him is like we're at, we're both at very similar parts of our lives where we're we're the same age, we're born the same year. We both have two kids. He's got two girls. I got two boys. Uh, they're right around the same age, right? So that part of it, you know, like we're we're definitely on similar grounds there. And then you know coming in like again like he's he's been pretty good in terms of like the responsibility that he's already given me but you know there inherently there has to be a part of that right where i'm i'm learning from him because he's been doing this for 10 years right and like i'm it's the first year in the nhl so that's like that's been the biggest part like just like you know i'm on the road here so like i have like three pages of notes that i me and him sat down and talked about beforehand it's just like you know anywhere from what i have to do with a certain player prior to a game to when i need to be wearing my suit right so it's like learning how to act and and uh you know what's what's the right and wrong way to kind of present yourself in in different settings so there there definitely is a a, a big side of that right like where you know i'm I, the the mentor meant be kind of thing so but yeah it's it it's been good but i i do like it that way like it's it's been awesome that we're we're kind of at that sp- both at our stages in our lives, right? Where We're the we're same age, right? We we kind of knew each other before I came into this role. So it's been
0: good, man. Transition a bit. What about the changes in working with NHL players? Now, it sounds like you had a very mature group of fantastic players in, in university, but NHL players, I'm sure there's some differences, maybe like language differences, cultural differences, maybe not as much age differences as well. What have been some of the actual coaching challenges and changes in, in your new job with Edmonton?
1: Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a bigger age range here, right. Where, you know, in the, in the university setting, it was pretty strict. It was going to be anywhere from with the hockey teams, right. A 21 year old is when we were getting them as a rookie all the way to like 25, 26. With some of the other teams, like a true freshman would be 18, anywhere from like 18 to 22, 23, right? So, so now you know, like a, a guy like Mike Smith is you know close to 40, right? So it's like there's a couple guys that are older than me, you know. So that that's that's definitely a little bit different, and it, it's cool to see um you know some like how they're interacting with with their teammates, and you know how a lot of the younger guys really look up to some of those older veterans and have that just. You know, constant respect for those guys that have managed to stay in the league for that long. So, yeah, so that part's been good. And then you did mention like the, the language thing. So, you know, more so, and I'm sure this is similar to, to Mike too, where, um, you know, a lot of kids will come in, in the training camp, like Russian kids, where they they don't speak a lot of English. So, one of the kids in the training camp. And I think I actually tweeted about this, where I, I was working pretty closely with, that, with the one uh, Russian goaltender that we had come in. And it was a really good learning experience in terms of like, or like a good coaching experience to just how do I get the point across to this athlete in the simplest way possible, right? Like, how can I tell him what to do in as few words or in as few actions as possible? And then if, if all else fails, you just bring out Google Translator. So. Yeah, true. Right. Uh, <laughs> I look back. One of my regrets is
2: I should have learned so, one of the languages. You know, I like, I, 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 should buy a Rosetta Stone like now, like just to <laughs> two languages and try to figure it out. But yeah, you're absolutely.
0: We just had an article on the site uh, written by Andrew Taxor, who's a head strength coach in the KHL, and that was one of the things he talked about. Is like, how the heck do I communicate with these? with these players. So like, Joel, what are some of the things that worked in that situation with that Russian goalie? How, how did you get your point across in the simplest fashion? Yeah. Good demos, man. It's, you you got to have some good demos. So
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good demos. And, and yeah, just like, you know, he, like most of them can understand some, right. So just, like literally just like a couple words, if you could get it across, you know, tell them the reps, right? They usually can, they usually can understand that in terms of, and that's, that's usually what they want to know, right? Is how many do I need to do and, and how do I do it well and, and get going with it? So yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that was kind of my strategy anyways, is just try not to over-explain things. And, you know, that, I think that's a, a good practice for any, any coach to do, right? Is you know, simplify. Your instructions, just get them off in as few words as possible. And I, I know that was that was something that was uh, a criticism that I had as as a younger coach from one of my mentors, where he's that was one of the things that he told me is like you need to kind of learn to to keep things a little bit more uh, just just shorter in terms of your explanations, try not to overcoach things like that. So that's always a a good exercise with somebody where there's a language barrier to just kind of force you to do something like that. So.
2: So what's um how do you guys kind of sift through and, and um discuss uh with your whole department right with even to include to include your minor league team but how do you sift through new ideas or um you know specific ways you want to look at data you know how are you and chad and and the minor league strength coach coming together it's more of a communication question to share with our listeners say okay you know we we, we sit down and we talk about these on a monthly basis or in the summertime we, we talk weekly or anything like that. but any new ideas and kind information, I guess you can use the, the ball groin bar. you know like you guys said you're using that. so for you, know, you utilizing that, implementing it and what's like the strategy and how it gets, how it gets uh, put into the program
1: Yeah, I think with, uh, with that too, so you know you, like anything with like that groin bar there, you know with, with that I kind of Chad gave me the lead on that, so I kind of tried to gather. Uh, you know some good information about it in terms of some of the research that's been done, and I had actually talked with uh, like a strength and conditioning coach that had one previously, like before I came on with the other. So I, I had notes from that, and just really, you know, pretty regularly. You know, we're seeing each ever seeing each other every day, so it's pretty informal in terms of uh, you know how we're communicating with that, and it's just like try to do it on a regular basis, right? So if one of us that's finds really something, you know, like right now, too, we're Looking at a few different recovery methods that are potentially try to add to the to the repertoire, right? So we're both kind of trying to do some research on it, and you know if somebody finds something good, we're we're sending it to each other, and then if it's something where we want to take the next step, then we'll bring it up in the medical meeting with all the other uh, you know ATs doctors if they're around and things like that to get their opinion on it. I know that was one thing that uh, Chad really placed importance on right off the bat is like, make sure you're communicating effectively with everybody in the circle right, and just make sure they're always, everybody's in the loop. Everybody knows, you know, what you're doing, what you're trying to do, what the science is behind it. Right. And always have a good explanation for it. So,
2: And what about programmatically? What if you're taking jump measures and you find a guy has an asymmetry and he's kind of the guy who goes up and down, right? How, how are you guys communicating on keeping kind of that synergy and communication? All right, we know this guy has any symmetry, he lands more on his right side, he's an old injury on his left, any, any uh, kind of good, good ideas or, or good strategies of communication to kind of to for our listeners to if they're working, you know, across multiple
1: staff members that we can utilize to keep those things in mind? yeah I, I think that's like another thing where it comes down to if like anything comes up like that, it's just like communicating it to everybody that's involved with that player on a day to day basis and and you know like with with the asymmetry stuff and right? it was the same thing with me at the university. It was like kind of the first person I would go to talk with is like the therapist that they're working with, right and just like right away you're going to see like hey, are you seeing anything here is there anything when you have this guy on the table you know coming up and and anything that you can kind of add to it in terms of of what we might do as a, you know, kind of a preventative strategy from making it turn into something that's gonna be overly negative, right? So, um, but yeah, again, Chad takes that part on where he's like developing reports that get sent out to, you know, most people on the staff that need to be involved in that information. And but yeah, that's, that's always kind of like the, the key thing is just really really trying to communicate with everybody,
0: keep everybody in the loop. So last question for me, last serious question, at least. What is there anything that you wish someone had told you before you started working in the NHL? Like something that you could, no one could have prepared you for it, but you just wish you had a heads up. I don't know the kind of goals that Connor McDavid would score.
1: <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe that's a, that's kind of a
0: place to to dig in is when you are someone like Connor who's just yeah, you know, I don't even, I can't even imagine seeing that in person. Like, what do you, what do you do with someone like Connor McDavid? Like, what do you, what could you possibly tell Connor McDavid? <laughs>
1: yeah. No, well, I, you know, the guy's a,
0: he's a pro, you know,
1: through and through he's, uh, uh, he takes his, his job seriously. Right. So, but yeah, no, he's, he's been, he's been great to work with, but, but yeah, I know that, that game, like, uh, you know, I, managed to have some tickets for my mom and dad to go to that game and I think it might have even been my mom's first NHL game so and I had a bunch of buddies that were there as well so yeah that was you know probably anybody that was there it's probably going to be the best goal they'll ever see live right so uh it was uh it was a cool experience for for my mom and dad to be involved with so but yeah yeah I know that that part's been different right like where you're where you're dealing with you know some some very very elite talents but you know uh, yeah I Everybody, everybody's been very welcoming to me here, and uh, it have been a pleasure to work with. So,
2: well, last one from me: If you got a chance to go back to your university and, and sit in front of a collection of students, and, and just like you did, you know, what would you, what would you tell them? Here are some of the key things that, if you want to work in this industry, or if you want to get a high level position in performance, whether it be private, professional sports. Or um, high-end collegiate sports, you know, what what some of the gems that you would share with them that hey, these are the these are the must-dos, you know, that you if you want to get here, that you have to work on now.
1: You know, like I I think one of the biggest things for me, anyways, and what I've given advice to people that have asked me, younger younger professionals that have asked me for it, is that you know, network and and get yourself out there and. Try to talk to people. Try to try to learn from other people. Learn from people that are already in that setting, you know. And like I, I felt that that was a big thing for me. Like you know, obviously trying to read as much as I can. But you know, like I think I'll always remember those those Zoom chats that Anthony set up uh, in COVID there. Like those, those were those were huge, right? And uh, I was I was very very fortunate to be a part of those. And you know, like I felt like I learned a lot there, and it also just kind of Probably help to get my name out there a little bit too, right? So you know, without without being like uh, you know, selling your soul on social media, like try to get your name out there, right? And and uh, just you know, try to try to network with with the people that are that are the smart pros in the industry, and and uh, you know, I I think it'll always come out positive for you there.
0: I think Sean Sean Scan tweeted something a few months ago about how if they're hiring for an NHL job, they're gonna talk to someone you know someone's going to talk to sean who's going to talk to mike who's going to talk to kevin like, like that's ultimately how these jobs are given and so you have to know the people who are you know already already at the helm there so joel thanks again for coming on it's always a blast any any final thoughts welcome to give places where people can reach out and also one album that you've been just playing a ton or, or one song or one artist that you want to give a shout out to because i know you're a big punk rock guy so uh you know you know what like uh, it was
1: kind of funny i thought you might ask for something about this david too so you know one of the uh one of the albums is not necessarily new but it's kind of a guilty pleasure is that machine gun kelly album
0: what do you think of that one you, you know what i've i have a lot of thoughts on this all right I'll, I'll give my thoughts we might edit it out but i'll give my thoughts okay so it's like it's a good album right like it like it's it's a good punk, punk album and we agree that travis barker like travis barker plays the drums on this album so It's a good album because Travis Barker wrote most of it. Is it so? It's basically like an early 2000s blink album with like, I guess, comparable lyrics, but is it as good as like some of the pop punk that, you know, I think is top notch? No, but it's still a really good album. And I think it's a positive if it means that pop punk becomes more in the mainstream. So that's my thoughts on Tickets to My Downfall by Machine Gun Kelly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree with you there. I think Travis Barker is the uh, the biggest positive influence there, and I don't know. My my wife always gives me a hard time about that because she just absolutely hates Machine Gun Kelly. So
2: <laughs> that's great. Just for the record, I thought Machine Gun Kelly was a gangster in the Al Capone days. So I <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: with that. Okay. Yeah, so Mike Mike's not not in the pop culture pop culturally, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm these
2: here rock, fellas. Sorry, like I'm back in that realm. So,
0: well, thanks again, guys. I'm sure we'll both both talk soon. Appreciate your time, and you both have games tonight, so I'll let you let you guys get going. Yeah, no, it was great chatting
1: with you boys again. It's Always a pleasure. Awesome, thanks, guys.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, you can find links to everything discussed. At the show notes on the official website of SCAF, ProHockeyStrength.com, we'll link to Joel's past articles on our website, like his stair conditioning article, which is very popular, and also our past podcast, where we talk about on ice speed testing. There are also a lot of new articles up on the site now, and for members, we had an amazing presentation by Alex Trinka from the Pittsburgh Penguins last month, so that is now on the site. So, for all of that, you can head on over to ProHockeyStrength.com. Thanks for listening.